Alright everybody, welcome to the December 11th edition of Cascadian Views, your uh, pre-holiday show, I guess. How are you doing, Dan? Chris? Good. Doing alright. Yeah, good. Uh, I think we're going to start with the, uh, you know, the reason for the season, and uh, Henry Kissinger died since the last time we were on here. <laughs> Merry Christmas, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's just it feels like it's good tidings when when something sure. something like that happens. Uh, Henry Kissinger, who, uh, to be charitable, let's say embodies the great American tradition of being able to come here with nothing and pull yourself up by your bootstraps until you're genociding whole cultures. Uh, was a German-born. Uh, State Department official who really came of age in the Nixon administration and was eventually seen as oh, the most important person in Washington, D.C. for a while. And that, you know, included the president. He was the primary foreign policy voice for yeah, maybe three Republican administrations and uh, pretty well listened to for a couple Democratic ones, too. He, uh, his family led the Nazi party when he was young. They came to America really with basically nothing. And Kissinger, uh, well, he left his mark, I guess we'll say. He was yeah. the primary proponent of what the... What you can say. Yeah. He's a primary proponent of the idea of real politic. Uh, this idea that all of foreign policy should be about achieving your ends, that you should have goals for everything you do, People should be seen as useful tools and really nothing else. And uh, it's really, I think, best encapsulated by the Vietnam War, where, well, we needed to stop those Soviets, and everything else became kind of secondary to that. Right. And I think the kind of amoral approach to the Vietnam War as well that kind of he and Nixon were involved in some very sketchy, you know, extra national, you know, diplomacy around the Vietnam War as well, which is kind of yes, the the really shady, you know, aspects of his uh, legacy, which you know, I, I'm not sure how much to get into that there, but yeah, yeah. he he really wasn't even sneaky about it, uh, and yeah. the only thing that. That kept it from being a thing is that the Democratic candidate decided that to even broach the subject would be to invite, like, treason charges and shit. People wouldn't be able to trust politics anymore, so he shut up about it just to, right. I guess, save the country from knowing that fucking Nixon was a scumbag, which yeah. we were all going to figure out in a few years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and to be clear, Nixon actually ran on winding down the Vietnam War in 1968 and it ended in 1973 so right yeah meanwhile they were yeah sabotaging the very efforts to end it right then yeah, yeah, yeah bringing exactly. in new countries by deciding to bomb Cambodia yeah yeah so yeah. pretty pretty gross pretty gross man absolutely yeah it's it's kind of interesting to look at him in his older years. He he eventually spent so much time, well, here and not talking to anybody really from his homeland that his German had deteriorated to the point that he really refused to use it. 
even uh, German media that specifically requested to interview him in German, he'd pretty much tell him no. Uh, he'd only answer in English, although he would listen to questions in German if presented to him. But yeah, there's. Uh, I I'm sorry. I what? wouldn't hold that. I wouldn't hold that against. Oh him, really. no, no. I'm he fled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. I'm not holding against him at all. Uh, the reason I bring it up is. There's a, a strange undercurrent in the U.S. State Department where uh, very recent immigrants are are pretty overrepresented in that. I mean, mm -hmm. we had Madeleine Albright in Clinton's administration who was born right. in Romania. Even uh, Colin Powell's parents immigrated from Jamaica. He's a first-generation American. There's right. there's just a kind of a pretty decently long string of relatively recent immigrants. Uh, at the head of the State Department, I, I just thought that was that was kind of curious and interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we'll. Uh, I guess we'll we'll pull it to another big bad guy. Although he's, I don't think quite as bad there. Uh, McCarthy has decided to say he's just fucking done with Congress. Uh, he'll be leaving at the end of the year and fuck all those guys, basically. And. Think yeah, you know, again, who could blame him for that? I mean, he's gonna... yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work, right? Um, being speaker is the capstone to your career in the house. So <laughs> yeah, except for him, it was a humiliating, <laughs> <series>. <laughs> humiliating and brief, but still, <laughs> pants pulled down every other month. Yeah, <laughs> Politico took the angle uh, of looking at this from California politics, where. Uh, McCarthy is, is basically known for building what is passable as a state party out of Bakersfield with the Bakersfield yeah. organization. He came up from Bakersfield City Council. He represented Bakersfield in California Assembly. Now he represents Bakersfield in Congress. And through this all, he's kind of developed a, a machine in the Republican Party centered on Bakersfield uh, that's able to funnel money to a lot of candidates across the state. And Politico seems fairly convinced that nobody from that organization is going to be able to step up and, and hold the reins, that it's just going to kind of fall apart. They're, they're actually thinking it could cost Republicans two or three seats in California, and they already don't hold that many. So, yeah, the California Republican Party is just going to get even crazier and less functional. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. That's cool. And functionally, it has been run through McCarthy and through Bakersfield. I mean, he, he's outflowed millions of dollars across the state, which is far more than the actual state Republican Party is, is distributing out of Sacramento. He is, he, he is functionally the party in California and his people, which are, are stocked in, in county and, and city offices up and down Bakersfield and kind of the rest of the Southern Central Valley there is is now kind of leaderless and rudderless. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome actually, because like <laughs> outside of uh, some of the, you know, some, a couple of those Iowa seats, I mean, some of the most frustrating and, you know, heartbreaking, you know, lose by, you know, half a percent seats that we lost in 2020 and 2022 were in California. So yeah, if we can snag those, that's fantastic. Right. So hey. it won't be his seat, but because yeah, that's a really red district, but exactly some of the others. 
that he would have supported otherwise. Yeah, I think, you know, the margins around, you know, I think L.A. County, you know, that's great. Yeah, it, it's really about the money. McCarthy was was fairly great at networking and fundraising, and he was not selfish with that money. He he flooded the state with cash for people he, he thought he could help. That's that's how he became speaker. You know, you buy favors like that. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Woohoo! And I think uh, let's see here. Other as far as other, I don't think we had it in the topic list, but of course, uh, the guy going to Santos. Oh yeah, I forgot about Santos. Expelled last week, which finally going to definitely put the Republican margins into a bit of a bind for a while and potentially for the rest of uh, this Congress. We talked the old guy out of retiring, too. He's, he's unretiring. Yes, yes. Swatsy's going to be the, uh, yeah. the uh, Democratic nominee. Santos only picked up Santos that seat because our, our incumbent retired. And, yeah. and now we've decided he's coming back. So yeah. I hope we hold it. Fantastic. And then uh, I think... Uh, the interim speaker, uh, who they had for a while, well, for that whole month while they were trying to pick a new one, is He's going retiring. to be retiring at the end of this term. So, yeah, Republicans in disarray. One of their Great. other House members is leaving to be president of Youngstown State University as well. Yeah. Cool. At, at the yeah. moment, Republicans can only lose two votes on, on any vote. They can yeah. lose two. Um, and I don't see their caucus getting much bigger. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, if anything, they're in danger at every special election between now and the actual election where they're really in danger. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just going to make their caucus even more chaotic, but, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. And in the middle of this, they're going to try and launch a Biden impeachment. Uh, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, McCarthy had kind of found a way to semi-table that, and Johnson actually seems eager to bring it back. So, Oh, yeah, it, it's one of his main priorities. <laughs> I guess it's the closest thing they have to a unifying issue or something. Man. Yeah, you know, I think, and he's also much more of a true believer than McCarthy was. McCarthy was opportunistically freedom caucusy. <laughs> Johnson really is. Did you see the? Uh, God, I, I forget who it is now. One of the Congress guys up there is now alleging that the Department of Justice charging Hunter Biden is a conspiracy to prevent Hunter Biden from testifying to Congress, and the fact that he's facing like. <laughs> seven years or nine years in jail or whatever like that is is their attempt to go soft on him yeah that's fascinating yeah it, the president's son being charged by a special counsel <laughs> is evidence that the president is trying to protect his son it is just bonkers <laughs> conspiracy and Biden isn't even the one that they're they're really all that mad at. Like they want to drag Mayorkas down for impeachment, and I bet you they could get every last one of them to vote for that. But I don't think they can get every last one to vote for a Biden impeachment, which is confusing to me. Why they're not going with the one that they're they're actually really pissed at right now? Does anybody 
have any guesses as to why that is? Well, I think there's a significant um, among the crazy faction, <laughs> there's a significant number of them who literally feel like they're owed an impeachment. You know, the Democrats unfairly impeached the Republican president, so they've got to impeach the Democratic president. <sighs> don't get you don't just like get to be right half the time. It's, it's just not like how that works. It's not just your turn to be right. You have to, you have to be right to be right. I, uh, it's the most in, in much part. of the rest of the political world, yes, but <laughs> not among the congressional caucus as it currently stands. The Republican congressional caucus. I mean, even for Santos, more than half of them voted no. Yeah, that was More surprising. More than half them voted to keep him. As soon as that ethics report came out, there was like 15 Republicans who announced that they were switching their vote to I I really thought the floodgates were open. I did not think there were that there were going to be that. Uh I I guess GOP leadership made a last ditch effort to to try and keep him. Um it seemed to be at the pushing of the Freedom Caucus. Uh, Matt Gates, in particular, was pretty vocal on the talk shows afterwards about, you know, it, it's stupid to, to put yourself down a man like that. Damn everything else. Uh, but yeah, I guess two hours before the vote, they said they were all going to back him staying and they wanted everybody else to, but it wasn't enough. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, well, we started talking about Hunter a little, but my belief is that this is going to be an incredibly trivial and dispiriting campaign season. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm really not very impressed by the level of political discourse I'm going to be closing out my 30s with. I, I'm just really not. This has been kind of a wasted <laughs> decade. From start to finish. Started with, like, but her emails bullshit. Then we got, like, four years of Trump. We got whatever the Republican Party is now. This is kind of depressing to be an American. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like, if you had asked me to... um. I don't know. If at some point in the 90s you had asked me to forecast American politics in the 21st century, I don't think I would have come up with this forecast. I, I have a lot of nostalgia about the 90s, and a lot of it stems from the fact that things really did get better pretty much every day. Like, every day there was something new. We discovered the first world outside of our solar system. Cloned the first mammal. Computers were doubling in speed every year and a half. Like, there was this real sense of society progressing before your very eyes. And and that has come crashing to a halt. That hasn't been true for I don't know, maybe 15 years at this point. And, and I just, I want that feeling back. I really do. I want us to get better as a species 
with every passing day. I want us to push new new boundaries, new horizons, and I don't want those boundaries to be like, how shitty can we be to each other? No, we're, we're racing to the bottom. That wasn't really relevant. Yeah. You just brought up the 90s, so I wanted to mention about that. <laughs> I just said no. No, I feel the same way. Yeah. My, my hope, and it's not really... It's not a great hope in terms of my um, expected to live in portion of it, but <clears throat> if you looked at the 20th century, if you were living in the like World War One and Great Depression and World War Two part of the 20th oh, century, oh yeah, we wasted like half you that century. It was complete shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was the worst century uh, humankind had ever seen for the first 50 years. We were gassing everybody in world war one just trench feet hundreds of thousands of deaths for two inches of advancement on the front lines yeah no fucking mass slaughter out there that was a shitty time i i get you so maybe the 21st century will turn out to be like that eventually yeah but i don't want to live through the bad part right exactly yeah <laughs> let that part happen after i'm dead <laughs> Well, speaking of things that featured prominently in the bad part, we have uh, some Trump news. Uh, a couple things, I think, really. Uh, one is that in a surprise decision, he decided not to take the stand today, even though he had told the court he would. Well, his lawyer had told the court that he wasn't listening to her and that he would. <laughs> Apparently, she got through to him. Uh, he is not taking the stand. This is... Uh, kind of a massive fuck-up for his legal team in a number of ways. Uh, they were trying to get a hearing to get the gag order lifted, but didn't make a time limit at the state court, and they were going to make him wait for a hearing until today, 12-11, uh, for a hearing on the motion to, to lift the, the gag order, uh, because he came in after 5 p.m. or something like that. Um and they were they were apparently just incredulous. There's just like there's nobody you can call. You can't get an emergency judge down there. Uh, and they actually did eventually get an emergency judge to come down and tell him that no, he will have to wait till the eleventh. Uh, and so the lawyers were super not happy with the prospect of him potentially taking the stand while under the gag order because they thought it would be fairly easy to provoke him into violating it on the stand. Uh, and that's why they didn't want him to do it. He insisted he was going to be a very careful boy, and he was going to take the stand because the world had to see this. And then at the last minute, I believe literally this morning, decided he wasn't going to do it anyway. Uh, probably a smart decision, right, Dan? No, no. Um, hmm. I mean, I can't. No, I mean, get, having Trump testify is definitely not a good idea but it's not like he's put up much of a defense either so eh he, he, yeah, well he's, he's under so many criminal indictments right now that yeah he, he doesn't want to be testifying in a civil trial no no definitely not so no 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 right now he needs to shut the hell up <laughs> stay quiet yeah uh, 
So he actually has already testified in this trial. He was just going to testify again as part of the defense's rebuttal case. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Yeah, no, no. Well, yeah, no more. The first time he testified, the gag order was not in place. The gag order is now in place, which is... Yeah. Seemed to be the primary concern for for his lawyers. Yeah. No, I mean, he's... they, They can't control him. They don't have any ability to get him to shut up when they should. So, yeah, considering that, no, no, don't don't get him on the stand. Yeah, they probably were doing the best they could then. So, yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. All right, and Chris, I'll let you mention the other thing that uh, Trump is in the news for. Oh, his, <laughs> his uh, well, he was actually asked a few days before this if he would be a dictator if reelected and declined to answer that time. So the next time he got asked was on Hannity's show. And he said only on day one. And Hannity pressed him for details. And he said that he would close the border and he would authorize a lot more oil drilling. And then he wouldn't be a dictator after that. There's and the power. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there's actually a little bit more to this um, that you have to kind of dig for. His, his campaign has been internally circulating a, a legal document, uh, the One Day Plan, I think is the shorthand for it. But it involves a number of steps to purge the civil service in a lightning, like, blitzkrieg sort yeah. of thing. Uh, over yep. the first 24 to 48 hours, uh, install people who are loyal to Trump uh, using a kind of a, a theory of the executive and the ability to have people in there and civil service protections and job security are unconstitutional and the entire executive branch is responded to the president. Which is batshit yeah, and- insane, by the way. Just if anybody was curious. <laughs> Uh, I think we talked about that a show or two ago, but yeah, the um, conservative think tanks have basically been working on this for a while, laying the groundwork to reschedule a vast block of federal employees as political appointments. So basically, he could just clear them out. Yeah, which, you know, that's what you want in uh, civil service, right, is a bunch of political lackeys yeah yeah I mean we we gave up on that I think too much in the 19th century (laughs) Uh, and the part of me is really worried I mean there's a lot of good reasons why they'll look at historical precedent you know the English that we derive from have a robust civil service with robust uh, protections they are not political appointees like there's no logical reason in historical precedent that we should not have a non-political civil service somebody has to staff the embassies somebody has to staff you know the department of justice your prosecutors are political appointees your you know fbi investigators are not this should not be controversial but part of me really worries the court will go along with it Yeah, and I mean, 
he's also clearly, whether it's a announced day one plan or not, he keeps making noises about judicial vengeance against everyone who's ever wronged him, so. Yeah. Take him at his word. Take him absolutely at his word with all of this. Well, the clown car of people who absolutely are not going to, but really, really want to be the nominee instead of Trump, is uh, down to six, right, Chris? That's what your topic says. <laughs> it, it is down to six, but I mean, one of them is predeceased and just has not realized it yet, which is um, Asa Hutchinson. I mean, actually, they're all predeceased except for yeah. Trump, but yeah, he is really predeceased. <laughs> so, who's still left in there? Um, DeSantis, Haley, uh, Ramaswamy, and Christie. That's and Trump, of course. Oh, that's five. Oh, and the Asa Hutchinson. Asa yeah. Hutchinson, yeah. Okay. Wow. And we have like a month till Iowa. Does that not blow your fucking mind? One month <laughs> until the start does. of the primaries. <laughs> Are they even going there? I'm curious. It just... <laughs> Man. I can't... Yeah. It just seems like, would they even bother? DeSantis is pushing know. pretty hard for it. He, uh, right. he spent a couple months wooing and eventually got the endorsement of... I'm sure if I were more plugged into Republican politics, I'd know, but some super evangelical guy who has delivered Iowa to the last seven or eight Republican candidates. Uh, this is the first right. time he's he's picking outside the polls. Hoping he gets something out of it. I don't really see anything happening, though. Yeah. I mean, he got the endorsement of the governor, too. But, uh, yeah, it's he's been totally fading from relevance. I think he's actually, uh, at least in national polls, I think he's, he's been pulling behind Haley a lot. He has been pulling behind Haley, yeah. He's in... He's in third place in a one-horse race. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and he's it's not even like he's angling for an administration job. I mean, there is there is a legitimate case to be made that Vivek is going to be in a Trump 2. There's not a chance DeSantis is. Those two hate each other. <laughs> not yeah. at this point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Trump just has gone absolutely ballistic on him. Yes. You know, now that you mention that, it is actually surprising to me that even with Trump going ballistic on him, he is not crazy. Mm-hmm. That, that, that is kind of interesting. Even more so interesting that he not only hasn't cratered, but that there's a second place. So there's, there's at least two people that can show their face in Republican politics, you know, Haley and DeSantis have enough people in the room that they can get an answer somewhere. And and that that in itself is interesting, because I would have assumed that Trump would have taken all the oxygen, because he's running away with it. I mean, it, he's not going to face a real challenge. It's going to be like 70%, but that, that persistent, like, 30% of the Republican Party is kind of intriguing. I thought they had all become Democrats. Yeah, I mean, 
some of them are just very conservative, but realize that, you know, Trump is a bad horse to back. So, yeah, I guess they went in on DeSantis and they just haven't moved. But, yeah, it's weird. But the Haley voter, the Haley voter is... That's another it's, odd it's one. somebody who signed up for the Lincoln Project four years ago, okay? And those people yeah. are all Democrats now. So where the hell is her support coming from? And where well, are I they think her support go? is coming from the yeah the institutional Republicans who don't want uh, do want a Republican president and don't want it to be Trump. Yeah, but yeah, at some point. It's like you idiots, don't you realize it's it's over? <laughs> Trump owns this. Yeah, the the same yeah. ones literally are Democrats now. It it happened with conservative but moderate Republicans in the Trump years, and it's not like the first time this has happened. I I was watching a music review. The guy made the point, you know. What happened to Gordon Gecko? Everybody wants to think that, you know, the young Republicans are Gordon Gecko. Gordon Gecko's a Democrat now. Gordon Gecko switched parties in like the nineties. You know, he was interested in money and he had no concern about any of your crazy Jesus bull. <laughs> you know, that that guy is is who Newsom is, basically. And you saw, I think, uh, the same thing in a lot of the Trump years where you had people who you know, we're, we're somewhat socially conservative, but didn't actually care. They just wanted to live in their house with their, you know, God, guns, and America sign on the wall and not be bothered by anything else. They didn't actually care that the person down the street was gay or whatnot. And they thought everybody else in the Republican Party was like that. And then Trump came along and they looked around and they realized they're living among psychos. And so they jumped ship. I, I just I don't know who's left to be the thirty percent of the party that's voting for not Trump. I really don't. Yeah. Also, I'm curious what's going to happen to the Democratic Party because it is rapidly becoming the home for everybody who's not a Republican. Eventually, that's going to take a majority, and the Democratic Party is going to have to figure out what they are because everybody has a different fucking idea about what the Democratic Party is. Yeah, of, well, it kind of, of exacerbates. <laughs> right. It kind of exacerbates. It was already the dynamic that you had kind of like, well, you had like uh, progressive Democrats, kind of classic liberals and moderates, right? It was already a pretty broad coalition. Now the moderate side of it is <laughs> squitching out further to the to the right, so it's an even wider range, which has got to be hard to keep together. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily think that it's that the moderates are switching to the right. I just think that the left side of the party is much more much more populated. <laughs> I mean, we well, went there's from, a, Sorry, go on. I was going to say, there's there's a definitely a much more populated left, but I mean the right the right end of the party is becoming more populated as well with you know refugee Republicans. So I mean, yeah, that's you know the wings of the party are certainly you know it, it's like a 
uh, what's the term I'm thinking of? Uh, it, it, the the machine is becoming a little bit less balanced. Is what I'm thinking of here. It, like like a washing machine, I guess. Yeah. No, I I, <laughs> I do definitely agree with you, and I think that it's kind of a symptom of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, twenty years ago, the Dems had Kucinich and the Republicans said Ron Paul, and now both those guys are gone, and their place is like forty carbon copies on each side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it it just. You're right. It's like an unbalanced washing machine. People are, are pulling real hard on real different ends. I, uh... I have strong opinions about that. Well, if we want to have a group talk about that sometime, that'll be fun. I've, I've always considered myself a liberal. My my goal of any policy is to maximize performance. Sometimes there is legitimate reasons to to do those things. Healthcare should be absolutely a social good. It, as much as roads are. We all pay for roads, we should all pay for our healthcare. Uh, but there's a lot of the leftist policy platform that does seem to boil down to People aren't making the right decisions, so we should force them to make the right decisions, which inherently makes me. Well, I would say I'm a lot more uncomfortable with the decisions I'll be forced to make on the uh, Republican side. Oh yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a lot of fucked up shit coming from the right-hand side, whereas I think on the left side we're just, we're fighting with each other about how best to achieve policy ends, and on the right, it's what counts as people, basically. <laughs> like, who is it okay to genocide? It's it's really, really <laughs> fucked up. There's Should voters be able to vote, yes or no? <laughs> yeah. No, it is absolutely batshit insane. That this is functionally how half of our democracy works. It is batshit. I cannot believe it. <sighs> All right. Well, I guess we'll move on to the local stuff. Uh, the governor has been on a statewide listening tour that has brought her to every county in the state, and they have been mostly talking about us. Not necessarily us, the show. Us here in Portland. Uh, Portland accounts for 60% of Oregon's population. It is by far the state. It is massively important to Oregon. That's a anchor. Um, it, it's just what everything And it does not escape the state's notice that Portland is broken. <laughs> There are open-air drug markets all over downtown. There are tent cities popping up everywhere. Uh, we were talking before the show about the recent flooding that resulted in four deaths in the Portland metro area. Uh, homeless people camped out near the river who didn't have time to get out once it crested into flood state. Uh, this is a toll of human suffering, and the economic engine that is Portland is kind of grinding to a halt. Downtown is dead. Most of the... the 
real estate down there is vacant and the state wants to fix it. So she convened a panel. She went on a listening tour. She then sat down with the panel and they hashed some things out and they have come out with their recommendation. Uh, assuming the governor accepts them, which I think she's going to, considering she paneled the, uh, the panel. Uh, they're going to include a 90-day state of emergency. It's going to be focused on shutting down the drug markets. There's probably going to be National Guard troops involved in that. At the very least, there'll be state police troops involved in that. There's going to be a, a state-mandated moratorium on new taxes for somewhere from two to three years on the Portland metro area. Uh, there's going to be a number of policies that are really tied to bringing people into the downtown core again, uh, restarting the office space, restarting uh, the, the retail space, and just trying to kickstart things again. Um, don't know how it's going to go. We'll see. Uh, they did just seize 52 pounds of fentanyl, state's largest ever bust, a couple days ago, two days ago, three days ago. So hopefully we'll see some more. Anything going on up in Washington? Uh, let's see. Um, not see. I don't think any major developments in the last few weeks. I mean, it's been it's been a couple of weeks since we were on the air. I think we talked about special elect or the, not the special elections, but just the off-year elections the last time we were on. Uh, not a whole lot of fallout since then. Um, no, I, you know, nothing really coming to mind as of yet. Um, legislature will be coming back into session in January. Um, be keeping an eye on what's happening there. It's not a budget year, so it's going to be a shorter session this time around. So, yeah, keeping an eye out. Session. Usually on an off year, it goes until April. Okay. Yeah. Was it you guys I was remembering who has, a, like, a part-time legislature during the non-budget years? Like, they actually get paid less? I believe so, yeah. I think okay. they get paid less because they meet for fewer years, for fewer months. Yeah. All right. So you've, you've pretty much got to have a day job. Yes. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, it's similar to I mean, in Oregon, they only meet. Yeah. Every other year, right? Yeah. Well, no, we meet every year. Okay. Um, I do know there are states that. I've always been kind of curious how that works. It just seems to invite a lot of conflict. You have to be like a businessman in your day-to-day -day life, and you also run the state, like. People are going to be scared of doing business with you, or are they going to want to, you know, give you more money. Just, I don't know. I, I really do think politics should be. You should be able to be paid a living wage. Politics. Yeah. Yeah, we also have a part-time legislature. You know, exclusively people who have other jobs, <laughs> or unless they're retired. Yeah. That, yeah, I think. I was just gonna say that actually is also a, a viable like way to do it. I would. I I don't know what you call it a gerontocracy maybe or something, but people who have already like lived their life and retired and 
have time to spend on it, that's that's a perfectly valid like person to elect for slaves. Mm -hmm. uh, we're we're gonna be talking a lot about legislative elections because my congressman who has been there for goddamn ever, Earl Blumenauer, retired, and there's a bunch of people who are probably doing series all right well i think that's gonna do it for us uh anything anybody else wants to mention i will take that as a no you guys still there oh yeah yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just quiet. I, I was just thinking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Have a good week, guys. Bye. <laughs> you week. too. <laughs> Bye.